This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. I'd like to introduce to you Terry Alcorn, the president of Kentucky Christian University. Uh, Kentucky Christian University is one of the missions that we support. As a church, we give 15% of our general offering to missions locally, regionally, around the world. And we like to highlight uh, those missions uh, to to help you become aware of them. And uh, Terry's come today to provide information about the school, also to preach a sermon this morning. So here he is. Well, good morning. It is a pleasure to be here. Well, um, I am the president of Kentucky Christian University, and most of the time that's a lot of fun. Uh, and we've been having a pretty good year this year. Um, just to give you a quick moment of insight into the, into the university, if you've never been to see us in Grace in Kentucky, please stop by and let me know you're coming, and we'll roll out the red carpet for you. Um, we have been training um, leaders for the church, uh, leaders for society, uh, and um, preachers and teachers uh, for about 103 years. Uh, and uh, have a great history there in Grayson, Kentucky. And um, I'm privileged to be only the sixth president uh, in over 100 years of the university. The university tends to hang on to people for a bit. Uh, and um, uh, that uh, is a, a positive thing, I think. We recently had our accreditation reaffirmed uh, last year uh, with the Southern Association of Colleges and Schools. I only tell you that because that, um, that reaffirmation looks at every aspect of the university. Uh, and our finances are strong, our programs are on target, and we're fulfilling our mission, and we're very proud of that. Just this past week, I sat in a room where our nursing program was reaffirmed, our graduate nursing program, and I tell you that because I was so pleased that the nationwide body of individuals that came to look at our program uh, in, uh, in our School of Nursing um, certainly reaffirmed them uh, for another 10 years and said that the program was excellent and uh, that they had heavy support from the administration, which they do. That was all fine. But what they said that was off script was very impressive to me, and that was um, that a group that really isn't a faith-based group at all, the accrediting association, complimented us and complimented the nursing program in particular for upholding our values of Christ, character, and career. And they understood that all of the people teaching in our program uh, were heavily influencing their students for Christ and to build their character. And I was very proud of that. Uh, and when we send our nursing students out into the hospitals, they're known as ones who work harder and serve more and care about the patients more. We're very proud of that. And all of our schools uh, really exist to do that. And so whether someone's interested in business uh, or in nursing or in social work or education, we have those things. But the thing that we most emphasize and lift up and I like to talk about is our School of Bible and Ministry. We have everything from on-site programs where you would send a typical student to to live in the dorm and so forth to online programs that if you're teaching in Sunday school 
or considering getting involved in ministry, you can get our certificate in ministry to give you some initial preparation to be successful at that. Uh, it is important that we continue to produce new leaders, right? Uh, and um, we've got to be doing that as a local church. So I'm from Sebring, Ohio, outside of Alliance. If you're familiar with that, if you're not familiar with that, outside of Canton. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, it's in Ohio. And I'm actually from outside of Sebring, Ohio, uh, in, uh, next to a cornfield. But my home church, uh, Pine Lake Christian Church, had me involved in things as a teenager. I got to speak once in a while. I was teaching classes. I went calling with the elders because they raised me up as a leader for the church. I had actually applied to KCU and been accepted before I ever met a recruiter. I didn't realize the school would send out recruiters. I believe it is the role of the local church to be seeking out, praying for, and setting apart leaders uh, to send to be trained for ministry. And I'd invite you to do that. I would invite you uh, to be praying for leaders uh, to, be, to be surfacing here uh, and to be set apart and trained for ministry. Uh, well, it's a pleasure to be here, uh, and I do want to talk a little bit about um, Psalm 51, to have a clean heart. Uh, and we're going to take a look at that psalm, uh, but before we do that, do you mind if I tell you about my cabin? So I'm building a cabin, my wife and I are building a cabin, uh, and we have decided that we're going to try to do most of the work ourselves, which means that building this cabin has been a very long process, right? So last summer, uh, we laid about 600 feet of cable underground, my wife and I. Um, and uh, we, put the, we ran the conduit, we ran the cable, and we, we did all that. Uh, and then now we've got the cabin shell up, and we've been um, wiring. I have a little bit of skill at that. Um, and there's YouTube, so I learned how to run plumbing. How hard could it be, right? Uh, and uh, we've got the drain in and um, the, the spray foam insulation, just for free. If you ever build a cabin, please use spray foam. It's much better than the batting stuff. So, so we get the spray foam insulation in. But wood's very expensive, you probably know this. So um, the school was getting ready to tear down a garage, so I took out <laughs> a lot of wood from the inside of that garage before we tore it down, uh, and I used that. And um, I found some wood. Um, laying around. I didn't steal it. It was just there. Uh, and, um, and I used all of that. And so when we built the inside walls, uh, there were two by fours up there that were of all kinds of different colors and quality. And anywhere I could buy wood, I'd buy it. Lowe's, Home Depot, your backyard. It didn't matter. To me. I just, wherever I can get it. And I've got all those things going on in there. And behind, and inside of all that is all this electricity and plumbing, and water line, and probably something I'm forgetting. And then there's a spray foam that's over top of all of that, and now we have this knotty pine board over top of all of that. And the thing that fascinated me as I kind of thought about that was I would estimate that 80% of the work that we've done so far is on stuff that we hopefully will never see again. On things that are behind that naughty pine. So the fact is, is that right now I have electrical boxes with 
you know, wire sticking out of them. I could have just run like a foot of wire right there and stuck it out, and it would look fine, right? wouldn't work, but it would look fine. But the vast majority of what's going to be important to us when we finally move into that cabin, I'm never going to see. I'm not going to see the water lines in the walls, I hope. I'm, I'm not going to see the electrical lines again. Golly, I hope not. But yet, those are probably the most important pieces are the things that I'm not going to see. And as I look at my life, and I look at my heart, and I look at who I should be as a, as a believer, as a Christian, it's dawning on me that 80% of what I should be and who I should be should begin on the inside should begin with who I am internally. And then what you see on the outside, those light fixtures or that naughty pine, that's just a small representation of what's really going on on the inside of me. And so if we did those walls correctly, we did that electricity and so forth correctly, then once all that is up and the outlets are in and so forth, everything will work fine. But if we didn't do it correctly, the problem that's on the inside, even though it looks very nice on the outside, will still be a problem. Jesus approached it another way, didn't he, when he talked about us being whitewashed tombs. My wife and I have actually uh, had the privilege of serving on a mission field, uh, primarily in Puerto Rico, early on in our ministry. And uh, the water table is a little high there, and so m many cemeteries are actually above ground with a tomb, much as you might picture in the movies of some place in Europe or so forth. And, and, um, and indeed, many of them were whitewashed. They looked very nice. And yet, what does Jesus say on the inside, right, is everything is unclean. And so sometimes whether it's the interior walls of this cabin we're trying to build, or it's the exterior facade of our lives, if we're not careful, we'll create this scenario where we're, we're a whitewashed tomb. That our electric isn't run correctly. Our plumbing's not hooked up right. Our heart is not in the right place. And no matter how we polish the outside, no matter what we do to sit in the right place and to say the right things, and if our heart isn't clean before God, then we've not addressed the primary issue. So we take a look at uh, this proverb. I think it's very interesting to me how David takes us through this journey. Now, it's rather long, so we're not going to read it all at once. I'd, I'd like to um, read it a few verses at a time, and we'll talk about that. But I want to tell you that this, this psalm, this psalm is a, this is a big psalm. This is a big psalm because it is written in response to David's sin with Bathsheba. Now, if you're not terribly familiar with that, David takes another man's wife in 2 Samuel, uh, about chapter 11. 
and he creates an elaborate cover-up. But I'll only make one point from 2 Samuel, if you don't mind. We find that it was the time when all kings went to war, and yet where do we find David? David was in his palace. I find that he was somewhere where he should not have been. And he wasn't where he should have been. A good predictor of when a person is going to find themselves in trouble is when they're someplace they should not be or doing something they should not be doing or looking at something they should not be looking at. Are you going places you should not be? Are you not going places that you should be? David chose those choices, and it led him to a very bad situation. His sin produces a pregnancy in Bathsheba at a time when her husband is away, a little difficult to explain, because her husband was where he should have been. So David calls him back and sends him to his house where he refuses to go in because his fellow soldiers are at war. So David actually has Uriah carry sealed orders back to his commander that have his death sentence enclosed. And in 2 Samuel, um, David then brings Bathsheba into the palace to be his wife, and the Lord is not pleased. And David is confronted by one of my favorite prophets, the prophet Nathan. And Nathan... Nathan lets him know that God is aware of his sin, and Nathan calls on him to repent. And Psalm 51 is David's song of repentance. Well, let's take a look at the first uh, six verses, if you don't mind, uh, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that and move quickly on to some others. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time of my mother, from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness. Even in the womb, you taught me wisdom in that secret place. You know, as I look at uh, verses 1 through 6, I, I kind of see that um, our hearts are dirty. Our hearts need cleansing. There's a problem. While I think I would like to believe that I'm a, I'm a pretty good person, I think we all would like to think that we're good people, or we can say, well, I'm better than the next guy. I'm better than that guy down, down the street. I'm better than that guy or that lady at work. That may be true. But the fascinating thing is that that's not the standard, is it? The standard is not, hey, go out and find one person that's worse than you so you're okay, right? The standard is God's standard. As I look at Romans 3.23, word says for everyone has sinned we all fall short the living translation calls it god's glorious standard there it is that's sin god has set a series of expectations for us and when we fall short of those that's that's termed sin 
It's not that God set up a bunch of mean rules to keep us down or so we can't have fun or so that we can't live our own lives. It's that God understood and understands how a healthy life should be. You know, what's worse, I think, is as David observes, is his sin was always before him. I don't know that I don't know if that's uncommon for us, is it? So I think that sometimes our sin is always before us. It's that, it's that burden that we drag, like the character out of Pilgrim's Progress. It's those chains that we have on, like the character out of A Christmas Carol. The fact is, is, that, is that our sin is often before us, and we're aware of it, and it's painful. And if there's no forgiveness, if there's no relief, if there's no grace that sin is a burden. And I'm very happy that this psalm doesn't end after verse 6, where David's simply pleading for this forgiveness, but it's not yet received. Several years ago, we were living in Florida, and uh, we met our neighbors. And uh, it was a fascinating conversation. We walked next to them and next, next door to say hello to them. And um, I'd never spoken with them before. And um, he looks at me and he says, we're good people. I didn't know you got to self-declare that you were good people. Well, I'd, I'd like to declare to you that I'm funny <laughs> and I'm rich. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know you got to do that. And so he just simply declares... We're good people. Well, okay, that's nice. Do we get to do that? Do we simply get to declare, I'm a good person? What standard do we use? How do we look at ourselves as, com- as compared to the standard, God's holy standard? I don't feel very good at points like that. And I understand that it's a challenge for us as we try to seek what we should do. Because what I see out there in society is that we're simply renorming everything. So we redefine sin. We make it all kinds of different things. Choices to a right, to my parents' fault. God's standard is God's standard. And I, for one, have fallen very short of that. And I'm very happy that verse 6 is not the end. Let's take a look at verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Here it is. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Do you see the the two things that David's seeking there? Oh, he wants a clean heart. He wants forgiveness. He wants to be whiter than snow. He wants to have peace with God again. And we all want that, I hope. 
Because that peace with God then brings joy. Let me hear joy and gladness. David clearly wants to be forgiven. We can see that here. But he wants something more than that. So he wants a pure heart, but he also wants a steadfast spirit. See, he wants more than forgiveness. He wants more than a chance to start over. He wants a clean heart and the determination, a steadfast spirit, the determination to not live in those ways again. I think this is a significant point that David brings up. Because sometimes we, we get caught in the, we want forgiveness, I want forgiveness, but we, we need to also want his lordship to reign over our lives. David's looking for that forgiveness, but he's also looking for the spirit, the steadfast spirit, to then be faithful after that. Isn't it interesting that it is each of us, David, me, all of us, that have got ourselves into this sinful state, but it is only God through the atoning death of Jesus Christ that can reestablish that relationship. Later in Romans, in 6.23, the scripture says, the wages of sin is death. Well, that's depressing. But it's a comma, not a period there, when he says, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we can't cleanse ourselves. We can't forgive ourselves. We can't heal ourselves. This isn't like a teenager getting a speeding ticket and mowing lawns all summer to pay for it or anything. It's way more than that. It's not something we can fix. But Ephesians 2 brings us a great deal of hope because it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared before us. You know, as Paul writes this, you'll see him in, in other sections of Scripture saying, listen, if we're going to brag about good works, I think I've got some going on here. But Paul clearly understood it is not by good works that we're saved. It is, it is not by being somebody or some, doing something that we're saved. It is by the grace of Jesus Christ. And that salvation comes to us so that then we in turn do good works. It's my response to my salvation. It's my response to that joy of being saved. It's my response to not constantly having my sins before me, but to have had them taken away, forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, as I look at the end of this psalm, I think it's interesting what David's response is. You see how he responds? Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me 
from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. I think Ephesians 2 is a good movement here to this last piece of Psalm 51, verses 13 through 19, where there's much good work to do. You see David's response? David, in the beginning, the first six verses, is burdened by his sin. His sin's always before him. And he pleads with God in the middle section to forgive him, to create in him a clean heart, a pure heart, to to give him a steadfast spirit, to cleanse him with hyssop. And his response to that cleansing is this promise of service and obedience. It's our response to forgiveness. Our response should be one of praise. Our response should be one of obedience. David promises to teach, to praise, to focus his heart on God. In some levels, we simply have to be so excited about this forgiveness that it comes out from us. We, um, uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, were blessed with our first grandchild. I propose to mention him in every sermon from there forward. Why? Because we're excited about him. Every day we get a video of him doing something incredibly cute, and we perceive that he's exceptional. And we can't help but talk about him. Do I have that much joy about the creator God who reached into the world through Jesus Christ to to forgive my sins? Our lives should be characterized by obedience. And as I wrap up, I want to say this. Sometimes... Sometimes we feel like we've crossed some line. That other people, kind of good people, can receive Jesus' forgiveness that are reachable by the blood of Christ, but that we've crossed some line. There's no way. There's no way God can forgive me. The author of this psalm, the author of this psalm took another man's wife and then tried to cover it up by calling him home from war. And when that didn't work, sent him into a battle situation where his death was assured. And this was not that it would be any better. No newcomer to David's army. Uriah's listed among David's mighty men. These were... These were men who had stood by David 
when things were terrible, when things were hopeless, and they had stood by David. Uriah lived very close to the palace. You don't just get to live close to the palace. Only the most trusted would have lived close to the palace. And so David took the wife of a trusted friend and then put him in a situation where he would surely be killed. This seems excessive to me. And if David can be forgiven, even called a man after God's own heart, then our sins that are constantly before us are forgivable too through the blood of Jesus Christ. See, the good news here for me is that not only only is there hope in Jesus Christ, there's hope in Jesus Christ for all of us, no matter how far we've strayed. Let me pray for you. Father, I'm grateful for the privilege to stand here. Grateful for the long history of connection this church has with KCU. And Father, I pray for a flow of students from here that would come to be trained for leadership. Pray, Father, you would bless this congregation, bless us as we seek to serve you in the name of Jesus.